You're listening to the Truth About Bible Study taught by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This week we're on lesson number 23, the truth about money. And money is one of the most important subjects that's addressed in the Bible. It is one of the most often addressed subjects in the Bible. Um, Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven or hell combined. 17 of the 36 parables deal with money and or stewardship. We are given constant warnings of the danger, um, constant advice and wisdom and principles that we should be using to guide how we use money and how we steward God's money. And so when we come to this subject, we we first recognize that the Bible does have a lot to say about money. God does have an opinion about what we do and and, and how we handle our finances and our possessions. The issue is one of idolatry. Because often what happens is money and possessions become a source of of idolatry. We often look to the Old Testament and we say, "How how could they worship gods like that? How could they worship gods that that they've carved out of a tree or that they've made out of gold and silver. And it just seems so strange to us. But I wonder if they wouldn't look ahead to us and say, well, how could you worship sports? Or how could you worship that job? Or how could you worship a promotion? Or how could you worship your house? Or how could you worship a car? Like, they would look at us and they'd say, how do you worship those things? Like, they're not gods at all. What do they do for you? What can they do for you? And so, it is an issue of an idolatry. Do we worship the giver of the gifts, or do we worship the gifts themselves? Do we seek our joy and our peace and our fulfillment and our satisfaction and our value and our identity in money and possessions and what we have and in how we dress and in all those things? Or do we we find all of those things in the giver of the gifts, and do we enjoy the gifts that he's given? Because we are meant to enjoy God's good gifts. So what I want to do this morning is contrast how the world feels about this subject and what Jesus teaches that his followers ought to think about this subject. So let's pray and then we'll get into the lesson. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it gives us direction in in all of these areas and specifically here this morning with money, Lord. We know that um, it is is a huge thing in our life. It is something that we all handle all the time. We make decisions about how we spend money and and how we save money and how we invest money and and possessions and our time um, every single day. And so, God, I pray that this morning we would leave just with a better understanding of what you want from us as your children, what you expect of us as stewards of, of what's yours. Uh, Lord, help us to think biblically and in a godly way about the subject of money. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of people that as soon as you say, we're speaking about money today, it makes them feel uncomfortable. And this might not be so true in this class, but I think if you were to, to speak to a broader audience, as soon as you say the word money from the pulpit, somebody points a finger and says, see, look, the pastor always talks about money. And they might be there for five years, and the subject of money just never comes up. And then all of a sudden, you mention money from the pulpit, and it's like, there it is, see, I told you, this whole time, all he wanted was our money. Well, I want to to reassure you this morning that I don't want your money, all right? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay all my cards on the table. I do care about what you do with your money. 
I do care that you give a portion of your income joyfully to the work of God in the local church. I care not, not because I want your money for myself. Not because I want to put what's in your pocket in my pocket. I care because I care about your soul. And if I care about your soul, if I'm, if I'm trying to pastor you and lead you in what the Bible teaches, if I really care, then I have to teach you what the Bible says about money. So I care as a pastor cares that the people of his church are walking in obedience and experiencing the blessings of obedience in joyful giving. I care because I want you to recognize that we are all stewards of what we possess. I also care that you live wisely, that you save your money, that you spend your money wisely. I care that you don't just waste everything that God gives you. And so, so does the pastor care about your money? Yes, I think all pastors ought to care about your money. Do I want it? I'm telling you, I don't care. I don't think the church is going to be negatively impacted because you all of a sudden decide that you're just not going to give anymore. And I don't think we've ever made decisions as a church, as, as leadership, thinking, well, how is this person going to think? And are they going to like how we spent that money? I think we, we're always trying to just do what um, we think the Bible would have us do and what <laughs> makes most sense for us. So the Bible speaks clearly and often about money. We ought to as well. And so here we go. Jesus is straight talk on money. If you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 5 to 7, is the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying forward two different ideas of how you ought to live. One idea is that you live for the kingdom of God. And the other idea is that you live for the kingdom of the world. And he's, he's really is taking those two things and putting them beside each other and showing how they ought to be different. And so he deals with just about every aspect of our lives in these three short, short chapters. It probably is the most practical three chapters in the entire Bible on what it means to live as a Christian. And in the middle of it, in Matthew chapter 6, he speaks about money and possessions. So Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart, your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness." If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? I think we read verses 19 to 21, and we see some very clear teaching on money, and on, and on treasures, and on what we're supposed to think about them, and how we're supposed to um, act with our treasures. But when we get to verse 22 and 23, it does get a little bit confusing. It almost seems like that doesn't fit. What does, it, what does he mean that the light of the body is the eye? If your eye is single, then your body's full of light. But if, if your eye is evil, then your whole body is dark. And how terrible it is, is it if the light that is in thee is darkness? All of that kind of seems a little bit confusing. Well, what he's saying here is a single eye is a sound eye or an eye that sees clearly doesn't have double vision. It doesn't have this blurriness. It's able to discern between, between things that are of temporal importance 
and things that are of eternal importance. And so he is able to use what is temporal for eternal good, as God has instructed. And then that is contrasted with the eye that is evil, and an evil eye, when, when Jews used to use it in the first century, they would denote somebody with an evil eye as somebody who is envious or covetous, or who's just somebody who seems to be greedy, like you know that the goal of their life is just saving what's theirs and getting more for themselves. And you've certainly met people like that. They're just, they just can't help it. They're so cheap and so like concerned about what's theirs and, and not spending an extra dollar and they never tip well. They're just the people that are so clinging to their money. And this is somebody with an evil eye. Somebody that's always looking at somebody else's possessions and wanting more. If the eye is blind, then the whole body doesn't see. You are in complete darkness. And so if the eye that is supposed to let light into your whole body is now in darkness, what a terrible predicament you're in, right? If you have your gaze firmly placed on the treasures of this life, the very eyes that are supposed to help you see are actually putting your entire self in darkness, your entire life in darkness. If all you're doing is gazing at what's temporal, then all of your life is now in darkness. However, if your gaze is on the eternal, the light goes through your eyes and impacts every other aspect of your body. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a second, but I want to just kind of start laying the foundation because what Jesus is saying here is of incredible importance and it is incredibly relevant to the topic. But I think sometimes we get a verse like that and it's like, oh, what do we do with light and darkness and eyes? And what is he talking about? So we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. But the idea here is that every part is impacted by clear sight and every part is impacted by blindness, by darkness, by evil. Verse number 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And so from these verses, I want to give you five undeniable truths about mankind and about money. Number one, we are designed to lay up treasures. We're designed to lay up treasures. We all do it. And we have something in our lives that is of great value to us. And we protect that thing. And we like to add to that thing. And we, we prize that thing. And that thing gives us um, good feelings inside. You've seen many people that had a desire to have a coin collection or a Lego collection or a tool collection or to, to have just their, their house is the thing that they prize or their car is just always spotless and perfect. You know that you, when you look at every person, we see a huge variety of treasures, right? I mean, there's, there's an endless number of things that people find important. And sometimes the things that we think are just complete junk, other people are like, this is my treasure, Sometimes I walk into an antique stop, shop and that's how I feel. <laughs> um, people like this stuff? Um, and then I'm like, Tara likes this stuff? It's true. I mean, people love to collect things. They love to have treasures, right? And we do this naturally. We are working toward a future goal, a future reward, 
And for many of us, that, that this, this future idea, this, sometimes it's this treasure that's to come, is the idea of a wonderful retirement, a carefree retirement with lots of traveling and enjoy. i got to be careful here because my dad's going to retire in about a month, so I can't say anything really negative about people who have retired or are retiring. But sometimes that really is like the, the big thought on our mind, like I'm going to lay up my treasures here and now so that someday I get this freedom to do whatever I want and spend money however I choose. <clears throat> Some treasures are temporary and some are eternal. If we find that, number one, we are designed to lay up treasures, it's important to, for us to understand that, number two, some treasures are temporary and some are eternal. So we need to be able to tell the difference. There were three ways in the first century to demonstrate your affluence. There were three ways of, of hoarding up possessions for yourself. One way was clothing and materials. Another way was precious metals. And then there was also money or possessions. And when we look at the verses that Jesus gave, that it's something that moth or rust doth corrupt, that thieves break through and steal, we find that he's attacking every single one of these ways. Saying that all of those things are completely temporal. They're temporary. Um, Some treasures are corrupted by moth, some by rust. Some treasures can be destroyed by thieves or stolen by thieves. But nothing is safe. Nothing is truly safe. There are no treasures that we can cling to that we can know for sure they're going to be there tomorrow. Now we can plan and we should. But if if what we're doing is we're just we're just finding our our security and our value and all of these things in in what we have stored up for ourselves, then we're in trouble. Some treasures are temporary, but some treasures have eternal value. We find temporal versus everlasting, corruptible versus incorruptible, passing versus permanent, fleeting versus enduring, mortal versus immortal. We understand that there are some things that do last forever. And so where are we laying up our treasure? He says something interesting here. He says, your heart follows your treasure. Now you've heard the saying, and I've said the saying before, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Okay? And that makes sense to us, right? Because we know that, that you might be able to just like, oh yeah, here's, here's a dollar, here's a couple dollars, here's something, you know. And so I, I can give that without really loving, but I can't love without sacrificing, without giving. But in a sense, Jesus is actually flipping this around a little bit. And and it's not that, yes, we recognize that we can give little things without loving. But what he says here is that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So your treasure, it's not just a couple bucks here and there. It's not just something small that didn't really require any sacrifice. Your treasure is the thing that you find valuable. The thing that you think is, is incredibly important. And if you start putting your treasure towards something, If you start start taking what's valuable to you, if you start sacrificing for a cause or for an effort, you will find that that cause or that effort will become valuable to you as well. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So you say, yeah, I wish I just had a, a heart for missions. Maybe start sacrificing in your life for missions. And I can guarantee if you start sacrificing for missions, you'll find yourself loving missions more and more. Maybe it's evangelism. 
Maybe it's for, for helping out the poor. Some people, they, they really seem like they don't care at all about the poor, and you wonder how they can do that. Well, I know how they can do that. They've never put any treasure there. They've never found that as, as something that's, that's useful or that's valuable, right? So as, as long as we're keeping our treasures elsewhere, then it's very easy to find other things that might actually be worth valuing as invaluable, as unimportant. What does he mean, where your treasure is? What do you think he means there? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think he's talking about your focus, your investment. Where do you put your time? Where do you put your possessions? What do you sacrifice for? The source of your treasure determines the direction of your heart. Your heart will follow your treasure. So do you want to have a heart for something that is temporal? Do you want to have a heart? You want, you want your passion, your, your deep inward desires to be things that are going to corrupt and, and rust and decay and be stolen or destroyed? Or do you want your treasure to be things that are everlasting, that will never fade, that will never corrupt? What are you investing in? Number four, your affection for money affects every part of your spiritual life. And this is the metaphor of the eye. Clear eye, clear eyes, sound eyes, single eyes provide light to the body, and evil and bad eyes leave the body flailing about in the darkness. And if you think about this, if you were to go and stub your toe, stub I mean you broke your toe, you stubbed it really bad, that is going to affect a part of your life, right? That's going to affect how you can walk and how you can get around. But if I said, hey, Mr. Manning, I would love for you to just go up and make me a pot of coffee right now. And he had a stubbed toe. Could he do it? Yeah. Because it's affecting his toe, but it's not affecting everything. And you could take any or most parts of your body and say, yeah, if you had a hurt arm, you could just do it with the other arm. You know, if you... But as soon as I say, okay, Mr. Manning, you're going to be blindfolded. And now you're going to go and you're going to make some coffee. Maybe we should put that to a test. (laughs) He's going to be fumbling about in the darkness, right? It's going to affect every part of him. It's going to affect where he puts his feet, where he puts his hands, what he drops, what he tries to pick up, whether he's putting the right stuff. It's going to affect everything that he does. And that is part of what Jesus is saying here, is that that this this whole idea of your treasures and your passion and your love, this is like the eye. And when you have the sound eyes, when you're seeing clearly in this area, then it affects every part of your body. Your whole body has light. But as soon as you take this area and, and you're evil in this area, you have evil eyes, then it affects every part of your body because now it's in darkness. It's kind of like what Jesus says about the tongue in, in how if we can control our tongue. Why? Because our tongue reveals our heart. Well, also, where you put your treasures are reveals your heart. And so if you put your treasures in the right things, then your heart goes toward that thing. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 22, it says, he that, he that hastens to be rich has an evil eye and considers not that poverty shall come upon him. If your goal is to be rich, if you're driving passion in your life, if you're hastening toward possessions and toward wealth, um, then you have an evil eye and you consider not that poverty shall come upon him. Uh, you have no idea what the future holds. You're blind. 
and you're in a lot of trouble because you're laying up all of your treasures and things that can be destroyed in an instant instead of eternal things. Um, This is the parable of the foolish man. And when we look at the foolish man, the man that that goes out and he um, brings in his crop and he finds out that his barns are too small and so he builds bigger barns and he builds bigger barns and he brings in more crop. And it's like, from every worldly perspective, this is a smart businessman. This man is making good decisions because he, he sees a problem and he comes up with a, a logical solution to the problem. He's got too much grain. He needs more space for his grain so that he can live on it for a while so that someday he can retire and eat, drink, and be merry and doesn't realize that tomorrow his soul is required of him. And so God's take on this man that the whole world says is a smart businessman is that this man is a fool because he never considered eternal things. He never considered what God wanted. Money itself is neutral. Money itself is amoral. But God is very concerned about our attitude and our affection for money. Do we use it for missions or do we use it for prostitution? Is it because we have a heart for the lost or do we have a heart for ourselves and greed? There is a way of using our money and there there is a way of being used by our money. And so we need to be very careful that our affection for money affects every part of our spiritual life. We have to understand that. How tragic are these verses? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Um, Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. You can be godly. You can seek God and try and follow him. With contentment. That is great gain. And isn't that what the world is after? Great gain? And that's it right there. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment or clothing, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition or death. Do you see how strong those words are? That if you will to be rich, if you're, it's your inward desire that you just have to be rich, you will fall into temptation, a snare, foolish and hurtful lusts, and eventually you'll be drowned in destruction and death. Those are strong words. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which... While some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. It is pretty clear what should be important to the Christian. And I know that sometimes we we live in a society where it's normal for Christians in our society to, um, to have a great inner desire to climb the corporate ladder and be wealthy and rich and at the same time attend church and verses like this just don't get brought up often enough and so again the bible here is not condemning money itself it's not saying that money itself is evil but what it's saying is money can be a source of all kinds of trouble all kinds of temptation all kinds of difficulty if it's not put in its right place Money is a tool to be used for the kingdom. Money is not the thing that will bring you satisfaction and joy and contentment in your life. 
And as soon as you think that it is, then you are in a lot of danger. Number four, your affection for money affects every part of your spiritual life. Number five, you cannot be a servant of both God and money simultaneously. The word mammon literally means money or possessions. And so you cannot serve both of those things simultaneously. He does not say you cannot have both of those things. He says you can't serve them. Many saints in the past have had both. There is no prohibition in the Bible about being wealthy. In fact, a lot of times in the Old Testament, we find God showing his blessing, his favor toward people with wealth. That's the story of of Abraham. That's the story of um, David and Solomon. But those men, they... The reason that God blessed them in the first place was because they were following him, not because they were following money. What's interesting even about those things is that we find that even those men who at one point in their lives were following God and not following money, that either money eventually had an impact on them or money had an impact on people close to them. So Lot was an example with Abraham where he was definitely affected by Abraham's wealth, right? I mean, their wealth grew together, and that was God's blessing on Abraham, but it really affected Lot. Eventually, he just wanted his tent turned toward this big city and this exciting, these exciting things. Why? Because he was finding his treasure in those things and not in God. So even though Abraham did well, it was Solomon. I mean, God gives Solomon incredible wealth. Why? Because he didn't want it, because he just wanted wisdom to rule well. But eventually we find in Ecclesiastes that he did pursue wealth and he did pursue possessions and he found that, that all of those things were vain and meaningless. And so even if at one point in our life we get this thing right and we know what this is about, we need to be careful to keep that in check, um, to keep our attitude right toward money. And I think we have to be careful to be training people around us, the people that might be affected by our wealth, our, our children and our family to make sure that they recognize that this is just a tool. And if they, I think if they see us using that well, um, it'll go a long way. The idea of being a servant of God and money is, is literally a slave, that you are owned by it completely. And what God is saying here is that there's no joint custody. He's not going to share. You cannot be owned by God and owned by money at the same time. You can't pursue and serve those two things together. You will serve. You were designed to serve. And so would you rather serve possessions and wealth or would you rather serve the eternal God of heaven? Be careful because it seems like an obvious answer, but it has very practical implications for your life. If you choose to serve God and not serve money, that requires some changes for a lot of us. The one must become a slave to another. And either God will become a slave to your desire for money and that you'll use him for that to that end, or you can use your money and your possessions to serve God. God is a jealous God and he is not okay with us serving more than one master. In our house, we have four bedrooms and Avery has one of those bedrooms. So one question that might be asked is, whose bedroom is it? Does it belong to Avery? Does it belong to us? Does it belong to the bank? Does it belong to God? I mean, really, you can ask, you can make a case for each of those things, I think. I think, though, first of all, I would say it doesn't belong to Avery. 
you know, you might be able to make a case for, okay, well, in, in some sense, in a worldly sense, it belongs to us because we made this deal and we own at least a portion of it. And in a, in a very real sense, it still belongs to the bank because they own most of it. And everything belongs to God. But the one person you can't make a good case for is Avery. She just gets to enjoy it. She just gets to live in it. And in this, in this way, everything we have, it's just something we get to enjoy, something we get to use, something that's, that's not ours. Ultimately, it belongs to God. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. They came from him, they exist through him, they're sustained by him, and they are for him, for his glory. He won't share first place with your money, your stuff, your home, your car, your family, which can also be a treasure. A family doesn't come before God. And sometimes we we have a little bit of an attitude like family is always first. God is always first. And the Bible actually says, if you will not hate your family, then you can't really love me. And again, this is this, is this idea of, of recognizing that there is a love that needs to supersede all other loves. So much greater than these other loves that by comparison, this is hate. Now, certainly it's not hate, but it's just not at the same level. God comes first. G.A. Getz said, Many perceptive observers have sensed that the greatest danger to the Western Christianity is not, as sometimes alleged, prevailing ideologies such as Marxism, Islam, the New Age movement, or humanism, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. We try so hard to create heaven on earth and to throw in Christianity when convenient as another small addition to the so-called good life. Christianity becomes an addition to the good life we're trying to live. Jesus proclaims that unless we are willing to serve him wholeheartedly in every area of life, but particularly with our material resources, we cannot claim to be serving him at all. So here we have in the Sermon on the Mount the tale of two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world, when it comes to money, is selfish is self-indulgent, is greedy, is covetous, is, is envious, is jealous, seeks materialism. They want their best life now. They're investing for three years or even 30 years from now. They want to build bigger barns so that they can eat, drink, and be merry. And they're holding on very tightly to the things of this world. That describes the kingdom of this world when it comes to money, possessions. The kingdom of God is selfless, sacrificial, generous, They're investing for 300 to 30 million years from now. They're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. And that's their treasure. They're longing for the world to come. Before they do anything, they're seeking God's will in their life. And that includes in their possessions, in their finances. And so, in the last few minutes together, I want to give you four practical biblical principles for handling your money, okay? Four very practical things, and then then we can wrap up this whole lesson about money in one week. Can you imagine that? Number one, serve God, steward your stuff. Serve God, steward your stuff. Matthew Matthew 25, 14 to 30, the parable of the wise steward. You should go home and read that. We're not going to go through the whole thing now, but... 
God is very clear in, in that parable and throughout the Bible that everything that we have is from him and everything that we have is to be used for his glory ultimately. Now, the good thing is God is glorified when we are enjoying the gifts that he has given and, and, and praising him for them. So it's not that it's just like, okay, now you got to go home and you got to empty out your bank accounts and empty out your pocket and give all your money to missions or evangelism or the poor or whatever. That's, that's not the case. But what we do need to do is we need to put those possessions, those money in their proper place. That if we get to use them and enjoy them, then we praise God for what he's given us to use and enjoy this side of heaven. If he puts it on our heart that we need to give those things away, and if we, if we come across somebody who's in desperate need, then we ought to be willing to part with those things. Because they were never the, the real source of joy anyway. They were just a conduit through which God's joy came. Number two, we ought to give generously and joyfully. So recognize your steward and then give generously and joyfully. Second Corinthians chapter 9, 7 says, Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Pastor Jester preached a great message on this just recently. And so if you want a whole message on, on that idea of giving generously and joyfully, go back a few weeks on the website. Okay, We ought to be generous and joyful givers. And God loves that. God doesn't love a giver who's begrudging. No, if, if, it's a, if it's a task for you to write that check out, because it's just the worst thing of your week, because you know you're just giving away that money that you earned, and it's so frustrating, because, I mean, that's like after-tax money, right? Don't be like that, right? It's probably better at that point that you not give, and you just work on your heart, until you get to the point where you can give the way that God expects you to give. And the, the way he expects you to give is to realize that he gave you everything. And so giving a portion of that back to him, it's just natural. It's normal. There there's, should be no grudging in that. And one of the things that Travis and I have talked about in the past, that sometimes it's funny that when you're young and your salary is, is very limited, maybe you're making like 100 bucks a week, then giving away like 10 bucks doesn't seem like that big a deal. But when you're making 1,000 bucks a week and you're trying to give 100 away, like that's, that's big. Right, and that that's counterintuitive because, like, well, you end up with ninety or nine hundred, but it really seems like you got this this big chunk of money that now you're giving away all the time, and you used to make that much in a week, and and so we need to be careful that as our salary grows, as as our income grows, um, we ensure that we're using more and more of that to give generously and joyfully, recognizing that God is is blessing you with that, allowing you to steward that for His kingdom. Number three, don't spend foolishly and stay out of debt. Okay, this is just be wise with your money. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. So as Christians, I think it's important for us to not waste our money, to not spend money we don't have, right? to, to do everything we can to keep the credit cards off our back, to keep those servants away from us. It does require some sacrifice for a time. You ought to sacrifice when you don't have that kind of money. And eventually, if you are wise with your money, then you will reap benefits from that. But don't spend foolishly instead of debt. Number four, save for rainy days. All saving is not evil. The idea of laying up treasure is not just having a bank account. The idea is that your treasure is in those things. That that is what that drives you and motivates you. 
But it isn't a bad idea to have some money set aside for rainy days. In the book of Proverbs, we are given the parable of the ant a few times. And the ant is one that works hard to store up for a time of famine. In Proverbs 22, 3, it says, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself or protects himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. In other words, when the, one second, in other words, when the, when the um, wise man is living his life, he's looking to the future and he's saying, okay, what, what will I need? What, what could happen here? How can I protect myself or hide myself from, now you can't protect you and hide yourself from, from everything, but it's not wise to just be like, well, I'm going to live every day trusting God and just throw my money away to random things that, that don't really matter. No, God says you should actually be wise and foresee the evil and protect yourself. So it's not a bad thing to store for a rainy day. The simple pass on and they're punished. They're not paying any attention and eventually they're going to meet that. Steve? Yeah, the parable of the man that buried his money in the ground, that was wrong. You should put it in the bank and earn a little interest. That's a clear indication that you should... Mm-hmm. At least, yeah. He, at the very least, he should have done that. Yep. Okay, number five. Save for future godly endeavors. Here we have David who is saving up um, supplies and possessions so that one day a temple, a beautiful temple um, to honor God can be built. And he spent his life saving up those possessions. And so if there is a future godly endeavor that we think that, that we want to be a part of, that, that we think God might use us for, then sure, save for that. You know, there are a lot of things that we do that do require money. It's part of life. And so recognize that in your saving, you're doing it because it's not just for the most lavish lifestyle you can ever imagine, that you're saving for godly endeavors. Um, in Joshua 5.12, God provided manna for the Israelites every single day that they were unable to get manna for themselves. Every day that they were unable to feed themselves, God was there to provide for them. But the moment they stepped into the promised land, he said, now you work the gardens, now you till, now you work, now you make your own food, the manna dries up. And the idea of that is, if we are being prudent, if we're being wise, if we're trying to follow God, then he will take care of us when we really need it. When there's no other way, God will provide. But when there are ways, then we ought to be trying to provide for ourselves. We ought to be working and we ought to be um, doing everything we can to to plan for the future. And those things are okay. So those are some ideas about your money. Uh, I'll leave you with, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, he's not, Jesus is not completely done talking about money. And so he says in verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? In other words, isn't your life, doesn't your life consist of more than just food and stuff? Yeah, absolutely it does. So don't be focused on those things and those things alone. Okay, he goes on and he says that he, will, he takes care of the lilies, he takes care of the birds, he'll take care of you. Okay, so right now what you ought to do is seek the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The greatest treasure of all is Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it is a question of worship. Who and what are you worshiping? If necessary, sell what you must to find him. Give away what you must to find him. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, 
and be content with such things as you have. For he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be content with what you have because he is there and that's all you need. That's what that verse is saying. You don't need anything else. Nothing else is required when Jesus is there to be content. So be content with what you have. Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So I'm not advocating that everybody else goes out here and sells everything away. But what I'm saying is, make sure that in your life, money and possessions are in their proper place. That they're being used for the glory of God. All right? Thank you all for coming this morning.